Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit, and you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a pleasure to invite Sarah, who's going to speak to us. Let's pray. Risen, ascended Lord Jesus, uh, you who send your spirit upon us, you who have inspired your word, we ask that in this time together now, you will open the pages of the scriptures, you will speak to each of our hearts and to this community of faith here in St. Giles. Make your presence known, speak your word of life, equip us for the lives you call us to live. We ask this for your glory. Amen. Well, it's lovely to be with you here this morning at St. Giles. Um, this, at the eight or the nine o'clock, um, Lee introduced me as somebody who'd been about a bit, around a bit, which was a bit um, unusual. But um, I have been, so I am from this diocese. Um, so I did my curacy in St. James Mapley, and then I was in the north of the diocese, so it's quite unusual, right on the Sheffield border as rector of a series of churches there, and then team rector of, of Clifton for a period of time. So I know the diocese really well. Spent the last 18 years here working in parishes and communities. And that's where my heart lies in many ways. For those of you who aren't used to what an archdeacon does, and I had to learn really what it was as well, um, really I see myself as someone who is an agent of mission, of working with churches, with communities, with church wardens and vicars, both to enable mission and ministry, um, to deal with some of the barriers to that and to encourage some of those other things which need fanning into flame as well. Um, there are obviously other parts, and if you'd like to ask me about those, you can over coffee or as you're going out later as well. So it is a joy to be here. And I was here at the Minster last week when Tim was ordained, and I believe this is a really important point for, for you as a church to have a curate, to have someone to learn from Lee, work alongside Lee and yourselves, 
to release him into the ministry that God has called him to, but also for him to use his gifts and ability to draw forth from you even more than is being drawn forth now. And one of the things that a church community gives through their training of a curate is a gift to the wider church. The person in ministry that Tim will be in the future with Claire is the person that you will help shape as you go forward. Um, Clergy, in a sense, are the sum of the places where they have worked, where they have laboured, and the people they have worked with. So, So give your best to him and to them and pray for them. That's the most important I can say. Pray for them. Pray for that revealing of what God's anointing is, God's gift for the years that lie ahead. So from there as well. But this morning I wanted to speak from uh, the reading we had in Thessalonians. And in your Bible, what we find, the Apostle Paul writing to this church in Thessalonica, we always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers We continually remember you before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. And in the New Revised Standard Version that I would usually work with, it calls it a work of faith, a labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. So I want to speak about work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope as well within there. It may be worth just realizing that this letter to the Thessalonians is possibly the first Christian document. It was written somewhere around 41, 44 AD, within 15 years of Jesus' death and resurrection within there. It's to a small group of Christians, possibly in the first year of their faith, in Thessalonica, a Roman Connolly Greek place, where most of the Christians who were there are Hellenistic Jews, possibly some Gentiles as well, but a small group of newish Christians. And they're in a context where following Christ means they are under persecution and deep pressure because they have put Jesus Christ first as Son of God and Saviour. They are clashing with the claims of the emperor, who is also called the Son of God and saviour and they are on a collision course with both the civic political religious authorities and customs of the land and the city in which they're living and we know from the letter it's clear that some people have died possibly through persecution and they've got all these questions about what is faith about when we're experiencing all that's going on and the apostle paul is writing to comfort to instruct and to encourage them that they might go on in faith. And the fact we have this letter preserved says how much difference it made and has been passed down the generations as an encouragement to the church and a challenge to that work of faith, that labour of love, and that steadfastness of hope. But first of all, work of faith. Paul writes to them, we always give thanks to all of you, And he ends his letter with an instruction to that church, give thanks in all circumstances. And of course they can do so because of who Jesus Christ is for them. As Archdeacon, I now preach in different churches every week and I've been really challenged by this approach to the Apostle Paul of thanksgiving for his churches, of thanksgiving for the communities of faith where God is at work. 
And this morning, I want to say to you, as the people of this community of St. Giles, that I thank God for you. What we find in the letters of Paul is that every time he approaches a church, he says, thank you. So in his letter to Philippians, he says, I thank God, my God, every time I remember you. To the letter of Colossians, he says, in all our prayers for you, we always thank God. To the Ephesians, I do not cease to give thanks for you. To the Corinthians, I always give thanks to my God for you. To the Romans, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ to all of you. In case you think it's all plain sailing, he writes to the Galatians, you stupid Galatians, what has happened to you? And his letter to the second letter to the Corinthians is extremely tricky in their relationship. But there's that sense of relationship, the sense of what God is doing, and that sense of deep thankfulness. And this morning, I thank God for you and his work among you here at St. Giles, your work of faith, which you witness over those years. As rector of Clifton, I can speak firsthand from this deanery, because at rector of Clifton, I was always conscious in the estate that part of the generous giving from St. Giles and other churches within this deanery, it made possible ministry in Clifton Estates because we could not afford to pray for all of our ministry, for all of the clergy who were there as well. And we were always conscious that actually we were enabled by the generous giving, not just in money, but in relationships and in encouragement and in help from the churches of this deanery and from St. Giles specifically as well. And I am grateful for that. And I do not, as Archdeacon, expect people to give generously in parish share or in giving in any way to prop up buildings or to sustain decline in churches where people aren't prepared to change. But I am grateful where people give to enable ministry and mission in places of low resource so that other people can become Christians and know that saving grace of God. And I am grateful to St. Giles and to you for your generosity over those years. I'm also grateful for the involvement of St. Giles within the life of the deanery and the life of this town in many different ways. You have your links with the Friary Dropping, your links with the Dementia Group as well. There is a sense of all the people who've come and gone in ministry and mission um, from this church over the years. And I'm especially grateful for your work of faith that we saw displayed with all the youth who are present in the way you've put resources into that and in all the younger ones who are present. And the fact that you have been resourcing that ministry among the young and the children and how important that is. And we know that you value sharing faith, whether it's through Alpha, whatever groups you use, so that people can search and find their way to that saving faith in Jesus Christ. So know that I, as Archdeacon and the bishops, are thankful for you as a community and all that you give. And know that your reputation is also out within the deanery and other places. And that is also important, because in the Anglican family, that relationship between one another is key to us reaching out in mission into places that are difficult to reach into And the one thing I wanted just to ask before I move on from Thanksgiving is, what are you thankful for in St. Giles? What is it that you would give thanks today for about life and ministry here in St. Giles? Now, the nine o'clock spoke back to me. 
So I can assume that you can as well. What are you thankful for about the community and who you are as St. Giles? Who is that? Put your hand up and I can come. Right at the back. Go on. Hopeful. Home groups. Thankful for home groups where people can learn. What else? What else are you thankful for? Fellowship. Fellowship. So the people around and that encouragement from there. Okay, what else? Meeting your friends and the friendships that you have here. Those relational things. What else? The support of the young. Absolutely key. The fact that you support the young. What else? Support through prayer. That spiritual support that you have within there. Extended family, bring your children up in faith. So important in a world where values are changing all the time. What else? Worship worship in safety. You can see throughout the world, privileged in many ways, um, but we need to hold on to that. What else? The congregation. Yeah, yeah, just what you have here. Go on. Support for seniors. A church that supports the seniors and the young, really important. Acceptance for being who we are. Somewhere else was just pointing. Worship. Um, I thoroughly appreciated that. I worship in all different places. That was great. Yeah. And any more? Any more? Teaching. Really important. That sense of opening the scriptures, of teaching for our lives. And a few more. Shared answers to prayer. Okay. It's great. It's really important for you as a community that you are a thankful community. You give thanks together because it is a witness to what God is doing in your midst as well as a calling on to what else is still to come. So I give thanks for you. Give thanks for each other. Give thanks for what God is doing in your lives and use that encouragement when you're not here, where you work, where you live, where perhaps there are more difficult things that you have to deal with, to know what you have in this community, to be able to live your lives of faith within you. So the Apostle Paul says, I give thanks for you. Give thanks. The second thing is that image of labour of love. Um, For those of you who know your Shakespeare, this is where that phrase comes from. You know, love's labour's lost. There is that sense of labour of love. It speaks about the Christian faith, is a work, is a labour. It's not always easy, but a labour of love. So um, Lee set me up to talk about the bishop's vision, the awesome vision, the strategy, and um, often that's when everybody starts drifting off into sleep somewhere along the way. But today I want to invite you, because what we are seeking to do in the diocese, which will chime with you deeply, is really a labour of love. It's a labour of love. So you might hear Dawson's strategy, but it's a labour of love. Because what we're seeking to do is grow disciples. There is an invitation going out across the diocese to welcome 7,000 new disciples over the next seven years. Now, in some churches, they've so cut it up and divided it that they've worked it out. That means 1.5 Christians more for them um, each year, and so they can get that done. But clearly, that's not the spirit of it. The spirit of it is intentionally focusing on growing disciples as a diocese, intentionally working so that we can open up those opportunities for people to be able to explore faith 
and know that transforming love of Jesus Christ in people's lives as well. So growing disciples, 7,000 in the next seven years. And we're calling it wider, younger, deeper. And in many ways, you've just described it. So wider means the sense of being able to reach into places, into communities, into parts of church, parts of Bridgeford, that you've never been able to reach into before. So going places where we've not been before, and perhaps where other churches have not been before as well, or we've going back where we once were. So going wider, reaching people who are completely unchurched in different ways. Younger. I go to many churches. I'm 51, and I'm the youngest there. So the sense of younger is that if your congregation is all 80, then you've got a long lot of opportunity to get younger. In other places, there's the recognition that we haven't concentrated on our young people, on our children, on the youth. That sense of whole lives waiting to be lived for Christ in the world, to know that saving love of Jesus early and live our lives from there. That's also really important. So younger, um, enabling everyone to actually know that. And just for a moment, who was under 30 when they became a Christian or first sort of found their faith was right so that's over half over half like that and so who was under 50 yeah yeah that's that's the rest and who was over 50 oh so lots of people who were quite young when they first came to faith and that's the pattern as well we welcome everybody at every stage of life But what we want is for people to live their lives as early as possible to know Christ and to know the fullness of life with him. So wider, younger. And the other thing is deeper. Recognizing that everybody who is a disciple of Jesus Christ um, always has more and more opportunity to go deeper in our faith. To be able to see where Christ will take us and to enable people to do that. And that includes how we go deeper in being Christians, where we work, where we live our lives, in our families, which can often be the most difficult place of all, um, in the relationships that we have around us, in a world and in a society which is now more and more difficult for people of faith to be able to speak in to the circumstances of here. So wider, younger, deeper. And two initiatives we've already done. We're starting a a city resource church where we're focusing on people under 30. And within a city in Nottingham, which the average age is 35, um, where there are over 45,000 students, where where there is just such an opportunity in many ways. And we're starting what we're calling a younger leadership college, which I'm sure that you will be part of, not a place, but intentionally looking to grow younger leaders, your children, your youth, so they grow up to lead in the future, and now, as Christians, as following Christ. So we're inviting across the diocese, all churches, to this labour of love, this labour of love that enables people to come to faith in new ways. And that sense of that here at St. Giles, growing disciples is part of your DNA. Growing disciples is part of what you do naturally. And you can see that as I look out as well. So enabling you to use that to encourage others. But we will also looking for people who are partner so that we can church plant again. And that may be here in Bridgeford, maybe somewhere else. There may be people here who will later 
go out to help church plant, but they're also to graft, to take small numbers of people who will go and work with smaller, struggling churches where they will enable that fire of faith to reignite afresh. We're going to be looking at doing things that we haven't done in this diocese for a very long time. And it's new to me, and it's new to others. And that's part of the invitation of an intentional way of growing disciples, wider, younger, deeper. And we do so not because in the Church of England we're anxious that we might decline and die. We don't do it because we're afraid there won't be people to do the jobs or to give the money. We do it because we are convinced that to know Jesus Christ is the most life-transforming thing that we can ever do, that we know it is a labor of love, that we are only truly human when we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we do it because we desire to give that love back to Jesus, who has given it to us as well. The Apostle Paul writes this in Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. He says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. We'd previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel, in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God, to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our hearts. In growing disciples, wider, younger, deeper, welcoming 7,000 more, seeing us grow younger, what we are doing is desiring to please God, not human people, and seeing lives transformed within it. So there is that sense of that invitation, that invitation to a labor of love, a love of God, a love of people, a love of the gospel, to see people's lives and communities transformed. So do read what's written within there. Do talk to Lee. Do talk about where we're going as a diocese because I believe St. Giles has a key part to play in that in the future, in how you can encourage, how you can model, but also how you can give of your faith in ways that perhaps you've not imagined yet as well to help us grow wider, younger, deeper. And finally, and a bit more shortly as well, The other thing that the Apostle Paul writes to the people in Thessalonica is about their steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We continue to remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Endurance or steadfastness is the word. The sense of something firm and strong and immovable and patient, holding on to that hope. When we work hard at our faith, when we are laboring at our faith, sometimes it can feel as if it's all our effort and it is about us. And we can take that burden on ourselves as well. But the truth within it is, is that any labor of love, any work of faith, has to be rooted in the steadfastness of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And there were two things they wanted to say out of this letter to you about hope. And it may be this speaks to you in your circumstances, wherever you are, personally 
or in the church. The first thing about that steadfastness of hope is that it is rooted in our identity in Christ. And the Apostle Paul says this in verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God. NRSV, it says, beloved, beloved. And what I hope you know is that you are beloved. You are beloved of God as individuals and as a community. This is love, not that we love God, that he loves us and gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You are beloved. Your children are beloved. Your youth are beloved. You are precious to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And in those moments where your hope perhaps feels not quite steadfast, call upon that knowledge of how deeply you are loved within there. The other thing within this letter, which is very clear about what steadfastness is rooted in, is the fact that they are called, they are chosen. They are a chosen people within there. For we know brothers loved by God, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. He's chosen you. You are beloved, and you are chosen. And the way that your belovedness and your chosenness can be seen is in the fruit of faith, hope, and love that is seen in your lives, that is seen in your church, that can be seen by others as well. And so the people in Thessalonica who are under pressure, they are called to hold on to that hope in Jesus, who is the one risen from the dead, the one who is the rescuer, the one who is the son of the true and living God, the identity of the God that we serve as well within there. So I would encourage you, encourage you in your work of faith, encourage you to be part of a wider labour of love, but not ever to drain yourselves, but to enable you to give of what you have been blessed with, but also to hold on to your hope in Jesus Christ, knowing that you are beloved, knowing that you are chosen, knowing that the fruit of the Spirit can be seen among you. So, let's bow our heads to pray. These are the instructions to the church at Thessalonica at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is usually read when vicars start. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in high regard in love because of their work. But you live in peace with each other, and we urge you, Warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for Lee's labour and leadership of the church here at St. Giles. We ask for your blessing on him and all the lay leaders and church wardens and PCC members and house group leaders and all leaders here. We pray for this community. We pray for your encouragement that they will know they are beloved, that they are chosen, that your fruit of love and peace, of faith and hope will be seen among them. 
And we pray that you will bless them so that they will see their numbers increase and their effectiveness in the world around. And we ask this, that your name may be glorified. Amen.